and the last statement we studied before I left for vacation, he said, I am the door for the sheep, which for us means that as his sheep, we should follow his voice. Uh, we should run away from the voice of strangers who want to lead us astray. And then finally, it means that Jesus is the only way to enter the abundant life. There's only one way to the pasture, and that's through the gate. So each of these I am statements reveal things to us. And again, when the people heard these things, they didn't know who Jesus was yet. He was revealing himself to them through these statements. And so that's what he revealed to uh, his audience before this. And what we're going to see in this statement is that Jesus willingly has given up his life for anyone who hears his voice and listens. So let's open with prayer, and then we'll take a look at this week's passage. Father God, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for all that you've done for us through him. And we just ask that as we study these statements that Jesus made during his ministry, that they would be as real and fresh for us as they were for the people who were hearing it for the first time. We just ask that you would impact our hearts and impact our lives through them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And I will apologize. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wearing my mask because I've got a, a little bit of something I brought back with me. Nothing crazy. Uh, we are double vaccinated, but I just wanted to be extra careful. But if I sound kind of weird this week, uh, that's what's going on. So this week's I Am Statement is actually a part of the same story we studied the last one. Uh, it's all one big story, so we kind of just sliced it down the middle, studied the first half last week, and now we're starting to study this half. So all the context is the same. If you remember, there was that blind man that Jesus had healed. The Pharisees got really upset, and then Jesus was telling them this story, and it was about the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders. So this is the same context, same story. Uh, it takes place the very next verse after we stopped on the last one. So I'll start reading this. This is John 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason that my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So even just in that reading, you can probably see how this kind of ties together with that last story. It's all about sheep and shepherds. And in the last statement, Jesus identifies himself as the door or the gate that the sheep must enter through in order to find safety in pasture. And this week, he calls himself the good shepherd. I'm just going to read that first couple of verses again. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away, and then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So, like I've said, 
The first part of the story, he was talking about the Pharisees. And you may remember he called them thieves and robbers. Uh, that they tried to jump over the side of the fence to get at the sheep. Uh, but there's only one proper way to enter. So in this part of the story, he's, he's starting to kind of compare himself with the Pharisees. They are the hired hands. They are the spiritual leaders on behalf of God, but they're not God. And so he says they don't care about the sheep because they don't own the sheep. The sheep belong to Jesus. He's the faithful shepherd and the true shepherd, and he's willing to do all that is necessary to defend and save his flock, including giving or risking his own life. So when you were a shepherd, if a vicious wolf showed up, it was pretty easy to tell whether or not someone cared about the sheep. And I guess the comparison today would be, if you're working minimum wage um, at McDonald's and someone comes up and starts smashing things, you know, whether you're trying to protect them or not kind of shows whether maybe you're the owner of the store and that's your stuff they're breaking or you're getting 10 50 an hour and you're like, I'm not paid enough to care about this or to get in the way or get hit. Um, and it's kind of the same idea here. If a wolf shows up, it could tear you to pieces. You run away as the hired hand because the sheep aren't worth it to you because you're just getting paid to look after them. It's not worth risking your life. But the owner of the sheep will protect them and fight off the wolf because it's their sheep. And this is their, um, not just animals, but in that day and age, you didn't necessarily always work for a salary. What you own was your uh, investment, your life savings. So if anything happened to your sheep or your whatever else, your crop, it was a big deal. So a good shepherd will risk their life to protect their sheep. But a bad shepherd or a hired hand will not. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't just risk his life for his sheep. He doesn't just risk his life for us. He actually gives it for us. And the Greek word that we translate here as good for good shepherd, it actually means beautiful, noble, honorable, or worthy of praise. So it's actually beyond the idea of just good. He's actually a noble and praiseworthy shepherd. He's fulfilling his duty in a, as a shepherd in such a way that it is noble and praiseworthy and it draws people to him. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The wolves come, they scatter the sheep and tear them apart. And the hired hands don't care, or maybe they care, but not enough to get involved. But Jesus does. He gives his life for us. And that sacrifice draws us to him because it is a display of the love of God. Now, of course, the audience at the time didn't necessarily understand what he was talking about here because he hadn't died yet. He hadn't been put on the cross. But, of course, looking back, we definitely see that here now. And in verses 14 to 15, he repeats himself and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And we kind of talked about that last week, how sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd and how they run away from strangers, but here he deepens that analogy uh, further. So unlike the Jewish leaders who didn't know the people, Jesus knew his people, and they knew him. The Pharisees kind of separated themselves from the people because they were sinful. They didn't want to get too involved with the people. But Jesus gets down and has dinner with sinners. 
He knows them. But he compares this knowing to the way that God, the Father, and Jesus both know each other. And, and that goes beyond just knowing about someone or just knowing who someone is. You know, I know lots of people, but do I know them? Jesus had an intimate and personal relationship with God the Father. They were one with each other. But Jesus says that his sheep know him in the same way that he knows his Father. And this also relates to Old Testament covenant language uh, between Israel and God. So they had that covenant through Abraham uh, that he would make Abraham into a great nation land and bless him. He would bless those who bless him and he would curse those who oppose him. But there was this covenant between him and his people too that if they followed him and his commandments, he would be with them. And if they didn't, he wouldn't. And this idea of knowing God in the Old Testament is used to describe that relationship and that obedience that the Israelites were supposed to have with God. We see this in Jeremiah 31, 34. They use this term. They say, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will, give, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, when he says, know the Lord, the, the Israelites all knew who Yahweh was. They, they knew who he was because their whole society was based around him. This isn't know about him. This is to know him, to be in that covenant relationship. And, and that's kind of the idea that's coming into this passage here in terms of knowing Jesus. To know the Lord was to be in a covenant relationship with him and to follow his commandments. Knowing Jesus means being one of his sheep, which means following his voice. If you know Jesus, you are one of his sheep. You're a part of that flock who he has died for. And then verse 16, this one's kind of interesting. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And I think that even though they weren't really understanding everything he was saying at this point, this was probably one of the most controversial things he'd said if they actually had understood what he meant. So in the Old Testament, God was depicted as the true shepherd of the nation of Israel. They were his covenant people. And during the time Jesus was alive, they would have seen themselves as such. The other people, the Gentiles, they were sinful and not to be associated with. If you wanted to be right with God, you had to join the nation of Israel. Here, however, we see Jesus widening the role of God as the good shepherd. Jesus primarily ministered to Israel, but we know that his intention was to widen the kingdom of God to all people. And, and the idea here in this analogy is that he's called sheep from one sheep pen with the Israelites out into the pasture, but then he says, there's sheep in another pen that I also have responsibility for, and I also need to lead them out into the pasture as well. But he says there will be only one flock and one shepherd. They will listen to his voice too. Now this passage, Mormons actually believe that when Jesus said this, he meant that after his resurrection, he was going to go to the indigenous nations here in North America. That's obviously not the case. I think that's a bit of a stretch to assume that that's what, uh, what Jesus meant here. And then some, uh, some from a, a Jewish background 
um, who would treat Jesus as a prophet but not as the Messiah would say that he's referring to the gathering of the 12 tribes of Israel. But I don't think that's what's meant here either. I think this is referring to the gathering of the Gentiles and the grafting of the non-Jewish believers into the Jewish believers as one body in Christ. Now, I don't think they understood that at the time when he said this, but if they did, it probably would have sounded just as ridiculous to them as the whole Mormon thing does to us, because that's just not how God worked in their minds. But that's what Jesus says. He says there will be one flock, one church with no distinctions, no privileges for being Jewish or any other nationality. The barrier will be broken down, and that's what he's telling them here. And then verse 17 to 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There's a lot packed into this verse, and when you consider that no one yet really knew or understood that Jesus was going to die on the cross, it's quite the statement. Now, some atheists have tried to argue that when Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that he believed his mission had failed, and that he was going to die, and that it was all for nothing. But this statement by Jesus is a direct refutation of that, because he says long before he dies on the cross, that he's going to lay down his life and then take it up again. Not only that, but he says he's not having his life taken from him against his will. He's offering it of his own free will because he has the authority to do so. But not only that, he's actually commanded to do so by God the Father. And he does this as a sacrifice to show the willingness of God the Father to save us. And so the death of Jesus is proof that God cares very deeply about saving us from sin. So there's no surprises here. When Jesus finally dies on the cross, there shouldn't have been a surprise because he told everyone. He knew exactly what lay ahead of him. And not only did he know, but he told people what was going to take place. Now, with that in mind, I don't think... It's good to focus completely on the death aspect in this, for that, in this passage because while he does state that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the focus here is on the fact that he will be brought back to life, that he will take up his life again. And that's pretty typical of the Gospel of John because it's very, uh, very much written from the perspective of the resurrection. And, and that's clear here in this passage as well. He's the good shepherd because he's come to lay down his life for his sheep, but he's also the good shepherd because he's come back to life for his sheep. Okay, so each week uh, we've seen these stories where Jesus reveals things about himself, his character and his mission to the crowds. And like I said, uh, they didn't have the full picture. We do, but they didn't. Uh, Most of them saw him as a traveling rabbi, so... It's really important. He's intentionally trying to tell people who he is. And and people don't understand, but he's still trying to share um, what his mission is and and who he is and what he's about. So we saw that Jesus revealed to the crowds that he's the bread of life, the source of spiritual fulfillment. He revealed that he's the light of the world, 
come to illuminate our paths and our hearts to our conditions. He's revealed that he's the gate for the sheep and that we must go through him to find pasture and safety from the thieves and the robbers. So what is Jesus revealing about himself here? And what can we learn about the character of Jesus and the mission of Jesus from the statement, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep? The first thing is that he was willing to die. And we see that in verses 17 to 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. No one forced him to die on the cross. He willingly chose a path that led right to his resurrection or to his crucifixion because it was a part of his plan together with God the Father. Octavius Winslow said this, who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. And he did this willingly, as we see through Scripture. Ephesians 5, 1 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. God the Father had a plan and Jesus willingly accepted and sacrificed himself to complete it because he loves us. We are his sheep and he is a good shepherd. So that's the first thing we can take away from this. And the second is that he is our substitute. Jesus says that he lays down his life for his sheep in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I said last week that the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd kind of diverge a little bit when it comes to people. And it happens here again because... The image of a sheep is of innocence, and we are far from innocent. He died because we were in sin. A death was due. We were guilty. And in Romans, it says the penalty for sin is death. So we kind of see this throughout Scripture, but how he is our substitute. In 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And 1 Peter 2, 24-25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then finally, Titus 2, 13-14, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus is the good shepherd, and because he is the good shepherd, because he cares about the sheep, he's willing to give his life to settle our debt. 
Then the third thing is that he's conquered sin and death. In this story and in the verses after, Jesus declares his authority and his power over the forces of sin and Satan. John 10, 18 says, No one takes it from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And then in verse 28, this is a few verses after our passage, he says, I give them eternal life, talking about the sheep that follow him. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is declaring here that once someone has joined his flock, they are free from the power of sin and Satan. Through his death, sin and evil have been defeated forever. And he declares it in this passage. And we also see that message reverberated throughout Scripture after the fact. So in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, or Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against him. And he has committed us to that same message of reconciliation. And then John 1.29, this is John the Baptist speaking when Jesus is walking towards him on the banks of the Jordan River. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus revealed in our passage today that not only did he come to destroy sin and death, but he also has the authority to do so. In this he is the good shepherd because he saves us from the powers that have separated humanity from God since the Garden of Eden. So as we wrap up this week, let's consider what it means for us that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. Let's consider the significance of that offering that he makes for us and how fortunate we are to have a shepherd who cares about his sheep enough to lay down his own life to save us. Jesus willingly gave up his life for anyone who hears his voice and listens. He was willing to die, and he eventually did die in our place. His death pays for our sin, and in doing so, he destroyed sin and Satan. So as we leave today, let's remember this sacrifice that our shepherd has made for his sheep, and the love that he must have for us to be willing to die in our place. Let's remember that his love extends to everyone, that he wants no one to perish. And let's allow that love to fill our hearts so that we will be overcome with a passion and a desire to complete the mission that he has given us as a church. Father God, I thank you that we do have a good shepherd that cares about us and that is willing to die for us. I thank you that sin and death has been defeated and that you did pay the price for our sin. I just ask that you would fill us with a deep appreciation for that fact and fill us with the love that you have for us so that we can use that love to minister to the rest of the world and to share that message with them. It's in Jesus' name I pray.